That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus Focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high-quality naturopathic doctor-designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Okay, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. Dave here. And uh, this might be the first time it's just two dudes talking. I'm, I'm here <laughs> talking with Dr. Rigo. Um, and uh, Dr. Rigo is a, is a naturopathic doctor in BC. And I'm pretty pumped to talk some, uh, some uh, elevated bro talk with Dr. Rigo today. Bro talk, mental health for men. Dr. Rigo, thank you so much for joining me. Why don't you just give us a little intro as to, you know, where you're coming from, your, a little bit about your story, and, and so you can introduce yourself to our listeners. Great. Well, thanks so much for ha- having me, Dave. Really appreciate it. And I'm excited to chop it up with you for the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, let's get right into it. Um, tell you a little, little bit about myself. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm an atrophic doctor. Uh, jumped clinic to clinic for a long time. Didn't really want, didn't really know what I want to get into. And then I all of a sudden found this passion and calling to uh, do cancer care because um, I traveled through Germany. My background's German. I was born and raised in Düsseldorf. And, um, you know, I saw like the kind of their anthroposophical, multidimensional approach, and it really resonated with me. And I noticed that, hell, we don't have this kind of retreat center model here in Canada. So mm-hmm. together with my parents, uh, it's a family endeavor. We decided to create this retreat center. And it's really cool because, you know, my, my whole family, we're like a lineage of practitioners. My dad's been in meditation for 30 years. My mom's Reiki, astrology, tarot, and my wife's a counselor. So we were going to really just like, like a team, like Voltron, <laughs> we, we were going to do it and tackle this. And um, throughout the years of, uh, of learning about cancer and treating patients, I, I recognized that I always cared more about really your quality of life. Mm-hmm. The fact that you get a diagnosis doesn't mean that life's ending. Life could end tomorrow. It's just how are you going to choose to live? And sometimes mm-hmm. you may live with that cancer for the rest of your life. But back to the retreat center, it took me about three to four years together with my family to build it. 
And uh, it's slowly, you know, I always said, oh, we're going to see how it organically forms. And lo and behold, it sort of started morphing into this mental health retreat center. But funny enough, or well, back then it wasn't so <laughs> funny at all. You know, we opened our doors and two months later, COVID hit and it was all in shambles. We pretty much had to close our doors. All the restrictions came in place and I was licking my wounds. And after four years of putting all our hearts, soul, blood, sweat and tears into it, just didn't have the courage to keep going. Not even the courage. I just didn't even have the fun to do it anymore. The dream was gone. Mm. So I was like mending, licking my wounds for six to eight months and really kind of like finding out again who I am and how I am. Because the thing is, I really lost myself in doing this clinic. You know, this clinic became everything to me. It was like, this clinic doesn't become something, then I'm not anything. So I really like kind of like, like projected my ego on there. And so when it failed, I felt like a failure and that's right. okay. And I learned from that. And during that time, I became a dad. You know, I've got a three-year-old Odin and a one-year-old Felix, loves of my life. And from there on, that six to eight month window where I was really trying to figure out like what's what's passionate. And it's so interesting that we as naturopathic doctors, many times our calling is from our own personal experiences. And yeah. so there's this, this fusion that all of a sudden happened where mental health and men's health came together. And I wanted to take men's health further because I feel like sometimes it just gets pigeonholed to, you know, your prostate health or your cardiovascular health or just your erections, but so yeah. much more than that. And I think that with what, what I'm seeing also in my practice is more men are coming through the door, more men wanting to make a change and wanting to feel empowered and wanting to address. And I think that's definitely a cultural shift. That's not something I would have seen in my father's generation or the baby boomers. We're seeing this with like, you know, the millennials, the Gen Zs, Gen Ys, et cetera. And so I started seeing more of that. And I started just feeling this passion, this, like, this organic growth. I felt so authentic with what I was doing and felt very congruent. And it just felt easy, Dave. Felt mm -hmm. easy doing it. And I'm loving it. Yeah, it should. So it should be easy, right? To some degree, yeah. if you're doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be difficult all the time. Somehow I always felt like it had to be difficult to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so from there on, I really just felt this passion to cover and address topics about that are related to men's mental health. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's what I'm talking to you today, right? That's what we're mm -hmm. going to get into. And there's just, oh, there's such a wide array of topic and I'm excited to get into it. Okay. We have, here's, here's some of the topics that, that, that we had talked about talking about societal expectations. That's a big one. Uh, archetypes. I don't know if you can go deeper than that. Uh, family <laughs> systems, fatherhood, polyvagal theory. Like what do you want to, what do you want to uh, chew on for a little bit here? Hey, why don't we start with societal expectations? You I like know, just it. Just kind of like, let's get the current niveau, right? What's the milieu looking like? Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I'll ask you a question right here, uh, right now. You know, Dave, what's a real man? What's a real man? Yeah, what's a real man, you know? Like, what does that even mean, you know? And, yeah. and, and the reason I ask that is because that word triggers me. Oh, it's like loaded. When, it's totally loaded. Oh, it's totally loaded because I feel like when you like when by calling a, a person a real man, you're not like forcing certain expectations onto a version of manhood. And, and I don't think forcing expectations on people has worked out well in the past. So I don't think we ought to continue to do it to, to keep doing it. Yeah. And so and, and I really like the term. What's a good man? You know, that's like, what does that mean, right? Like, I feel like there's so many more things associated with that. And if we mm. take down, if we go down like memory lane, right? 
you know, I was doing a little research on this, like prior to the use of widespread machines and whatnot, like industrial revolutions, like men worked on their farms, their sons apprentices underneath them, and the women took care of the household. And then all of a sudden you had this widespread machine development and people, men had to go and work out in factories. They'd be gone for the entire day. They'd come home exhausted, but sort of, sort of their idea of what a man was, was just sort of like work harder, you know, yeah. like go there, get the job done. And it was sort of like you were imbued with a sense of virtue and duty, you know, get the job done on time, every time. Yeah. And then you also now, not now, but then you saw this sort of phase of like the sophisticated man come up, you know, when you think of like Mad Men, for example, like the TV show, mm-hmm. and then you have this generation that have this ceaseless pursuit of wealth in order to validate their manhood. You know, life became a game centered around their net worth or the number of things they could amass for themselves and their family. So you look cars, a kind of provider houses. gone. Yeah. Provider role. Oh, yeah. that's a big one. Right. I see yeah. a lot of men that are just sort of confined to that provider role. And they're like, yeah. if I don't provide financially for my family to support them, then I'm not a real man. You know, yeah. it's like, I have friends that won't see uh, like that haven't dated uh, anyone because they have this sensation of, well, you know, I need to, you know, have my own house and I need to have my own car. You know, I need to have these things because then I'm set to yeah. give to another person. I don't think life works like that. You know, it's not like a straight edge kind of like middle of the road, you know, it's all these winding turns. And I think what we then forget about is like the emotional capacity of what you can give. You know, if you're a provider, that's, that's, that's beautiful either way, but it's also like, can you provide emotionally for your family? Can you be, have presence for your children? That's super Mm -hmm. important. Like kids look up to their fathers. Fathers have a huge role in determining or shaping who we are. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I ask a lot of my male patients about, you know, like, like, where did you learn to be a man? Who taught you? Was it your Mm -hmm. friends? Was it your uncle? Was it your dad? What was your role like with your father? Or, or this one, oh, I love this question. Uh, it's the, you know, what rules were in, were in the family that no one talked about, but everyone knew they existed. It's like the hidden rules that, you know, they're, <laughs> and, and we see this all the time. I think that's why you sometimes see like, you know, your partner clash with your family or you clash with the in-laws because those families run by different sort of models. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's also important to sort, sort of ask like, what was the emotion my father was least comfortable with or couldn't express or what emotion did I have to hide in my family? Because I think truly that what you see in your upbringing totally manifests in the dynamics, the relationships you have with people, with money, with emotions, with your partner, you know, the list goes on, right? Well, you could go down, now we could go down a couple of different paths quite organically. We could go down family systems or archetypes. Oof. Oof, uh, let's get into archetypes. Okay. I really like that one. I like you it. Know, and I, I, the, only, the only thing I, I've read a little bit of, of um, like Ken Wilber, I don't know if you know Ken Wilber in Integral Theory, and he often talks about um, like healthy masculine and unhealthy masculine and healthy feminine and unhealthy feminine. So we often, I don't know, I think, I think we get, uh, men often get labeled with a lot of the unhealthy masculine things. Like you're talking about like emotionally, not too evolved <laughs> and yeah you could say that yeah and and so anyway I, I just think there's healthy and unhealthy i didn't know if you want to talk about that at, at some point but um that's one thing i it's always interests me is that we sort of say 
a lot of the male sort of archetypal male masculine um, issues, we sort of lump them all as if they're all bad, but there's some good ones too, right? Definitely. I mean, if we just like go straight down to the basics, you know, an archetype is really just like a blueprint, a blueprint that is seen through cultural history. And that's the reason we call it an archetype because we've seen it develop in different cultures. And it even gets to the point where we see it in cinema. You know, we see this, uh, these archetypes in cinema create this immediate sense of familiarity that allows audience members to kind of relate to a character without really necessarily pondering why that is. So mm-hmm. like, think of like uh, the lover, like Romeo, right? Or the hero, like Luke Skywalker or the magician, which is like Morpheus or Gandalf or Darth Vader or the outlaw, you know, the kind of funny like cowboy, like Han Solo or Batman or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we connect with them. Or, or even the sort of the, what I would call the bastardization of the hero, where it's like, you know, what is a hero? Uh, and what we see nowadays, I mean, as much as I love Avengers and comic books, I'm a huge nerd in that sense. I feel like it gets put on such a pedestal where you feel like I got to be buff and I got to be robust and I right. got to do what's right and what's called for me to do right. And I think a lot of those like emotional beneath the surface things don't really, you know, kids don't see that mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's almost like filtered out in a way mm-hmm. and uh have you ever heard of uh robert moore no so robert moore is a jungian psychologist if we just do a quick jungian psychology 101 you know we got negative and positive emotions that are repressed in the unconscious we have a personal unconscious that's developed by our personal experiences but we've got this collective unconscious and the collective unconscious is kind of like back to what those archetypes are right, right bodice right. and symbols and those mythical stories and he came up with this term, uh, king, warrior, magician, and lover. And so he had this structure of these archetypes where you can have the immature masculine and the mature masculine. And how you had to go, you had to reconcile different parts of yourself to really gain the fullest expression of who you are inside. And so certainly you can sometimes cut short certain aspects of those archetypes, but each stage really does have its lessons to be learned. And if you do not, you know, follow through with some of them, well, that leaves a man undeveloped. And then you wonder why, you know, he, he folds over at the age of 45 or whatnot. And, you know, you go take a look inside as a doctor and you see, you know, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, things are repressed, things aren't mm-hmm. developed. And so then you kind of like, I'm not saying you have to start with a clean slate because you start from experience mm-hmm. for, for that patient. But sometimes like you got to take a few steps back to build yourself forward again. Yeah, like you can't you can't skip stages of development. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, exactly. You can't skip these things. Although certainly, you know, all roads lead to Rome, and some stages may you know be you, you might learn later in life, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like how your upbringing goes. So how do, how does this, this our discussion here with archetypes? How does that sort of weave into the way you talk to men in in a clinical sort of sense, or your your patients? How does this sort of weave into that? Well, I think, you know, it's one thing, you know, what we learn a lot about traditional Chinese medicine, right? We learn about yin and yang. And isn't yin and yang just that duality? You know, in, in Jungian psychology, and I'm no expert at it, they call it anima and animus, but it's just another word for yin and yang, really, the masculine and the feminine. And we mm-hmm. can have masculine traits and feminine traits. So, you know, we could have the classic, like, um, you know, I need to improve my leadership skills and I need to be outspoken and I need to be in a position of authority and organization and structure that would be considered very masculine versus 
I want to cultivate my expression. I want to be creative. I want to share my emotions. I want to provide compassion. That'd be much more of a feminine trait. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying is that that duality, you must feed both of them to be your best version, really. Mm -hmm. And how can you do that? Well, you do that through your interactions with your environments. And that could be maybe certain sports, you know, like you could be like, I'm going to do a very young or very animus based, like I'm going to do CrossFit. I'm going to like push it. I'm going to have people yell at me to get pushed and it's going to give me structure to get strong. But mm -hmm. you might also be like, you know, I really need to foster something yin. So maybe I'll do Tai Chi, Qi Gong, yoga, right? Mm -hmm. Let alone some of the things you can do from a behavioral context, right? Mm-hmm. Well, just like I the yang symbol, right? Like uh, you have to have you have to have uh, uh, the essence of both within the whole, right? Definitely. Okay, and and so uh, maybe. Well, how about in a in a sort of physiological sense? Do you see any sort of symptoms that are related to imbalances in your sort of yin and yang as a man, or do you feel like there's environmental challenges with the way things are now? Well, whew, that's a two very good points you pose. When you say environmentally, the first thing I think of is, you know, all the plastics, the xenoestrogens, the parabens yeah. uh, that give us all those fake estrogens that I think have a huge impact on men. And then there's this uh, research study. Uh, it's a fairly older one, but it talks about the secular decline of testosterone. And so what it's noticing here is that you can have men in, let's say, in the 1970s and men in the 1980s and men in the 1990s. And it doesn't matter what their age frame is. They could be, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. But the men in the 70s had higher testosterone levels all over than men in the 80s had higher testosterone than the men in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So you wonder to yourself, like, man, is there like a, like a link here? Is it mm -hmm. just because we've gotten, we're sitting in front of our computers all day or sedentary? Is it because behaviorally we're not really doing our fullest expression? Or could it be environmentally we're being exposed to some things that affect us physiologically as to how we feel? So mm -hmm. that's from an environmental standpoint. Uh, what, what was your first question you asked after the environment you mentioned? Um, I, I can't recall. I think I think we're just trying to relate it to like physiology. Yeah. So I mean, like uh, one thing that I tend to see a lot of is uh, you know andropause. You know, it's yeah. another you know the scientific term would be like late onset symptomatic hypogonadism. That's a long word. <laughs> just think of it like female menopause. The same thing happens to men. Yeah. But the thing about it is, is that it's almost like a dance all of us ha have to partake in. But what's interesting about it is that, you know, we think to ourselves, oh, you know, you've got to be 50 or 60 or 70 to have, you know, lower testosterone levels. But the truth is, this can happen to anyone. It certainly is more, as you get older, you become more prone to it because, you know, there's a study that says you lose 1% of testosterone every day starting at, at the age of 30. However, um, I think you're also seeing that this, that the symptoms range, you know, just because mm -hmm. like you can have older men with nonspecific symptoms consistent with, with andropause, but I also tend to see a lot of young men that don't have really high testosterone or good levels of testosterone either. And so sort of like with a thyroid, there's a really wide range of what is considered normal for total testosterone. And we're certainly always looking at the upper limits, you know, it's sort of like know your limits, stay within it. Mm -hmm. But what we want to do is we want to help improve and support. And I've done a lot of digging into it. And it's interesting to note how much behaviorally it affects, uh, like our behaviors can affect our testosterone levels. Mm -hmm. Not just speaking from like, you know, your, your strict, like, you know, what physiologically or hormones or supplements you ought to be taking, but even from like what stress can do to you. 
You know, if we take mm-hmm. a look at the HP axis or what, uh, uh, what recreational drug use can do, mm-hmm. uh, what, what masturbation can do, especially when we look at TCM, like Jing, Essence, mm-hmm. Essence Development, or, or we even take a look at, um, like, have you ever heard of the offspring paradox? No. So when a man hears a child or baby, you know, scream, what, it, what happens immediately is there's a spike in testosterone. However, if that man then goes and sues that child, he actually gets lower testosterone levels. <laughs> so it's, a, it's, it's how you interact with it, right? Because that compassion would bring up oxytocin, that familiar comfort and touch and feeling. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the antagonistic uh, theory where when you, uh, like, let's say you hear kids scream and you want to protect your family, it increases your testosterone levels. But if you, uh, and, but it also increases your oxytocin. But if you are antagonistic, like you're looking for a fight, then you're increasing your testosterone much more, but without that oxytocin component. Mm-hmm. So like how we interact with our environment plays a huge role. And the way I think that is very important, physiologically speaking, is that be- it's because I see men, young men coming through the door that are like, I feel like I can't speak my mind anymore. I don't feel okay, confident. So that's that. Okay. So that's what I was going to ask you, uh, not just physical environment, not just like the physical environment, but I mean like a sociocultural environment. Do you think there's any sociocultural environment, uh, things that are contributing to that? What you're talking about now where, where the, a guy is maybe coming to you saying, I can't, I can't speak my mind. What can you expand on that with, a, with that? Yeah. Little, yeah. I think that's, I, I, that's probably one of the, my main key sort of indicator questions and in part of my assessments that I ask, like, do you feel like you, like you feel like you're confident do you feel like you can speak your mind up like has things changed progressively as you've been in your work environment those are some cute like telltale signs that you know they don't always have to relate to testosterone but testosterone is very much the kind of hormone that allows you that sort of i won't say aggression because that's excessively but that that assertiveness that ability to speak up and when you then have this era of toxic masculinity where you see men in the media certainly do some horrendous things uh, that that can really set kind of a stage where all of a sudden men feel like, Oh, I don't know what I can say, how I can say, I feel like I'm on eggshells and how I come across. And we, as a culture, we continuously adapt and that's very important, but you also got to in a way answer your true calling for like how you want to show up in the world as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when you think about like socioculturally, when I go look up men's health, you know, first thing pops up is Men's Health Magazine. And you click on there, and what do you see? You see a bunch Work of guys sh- working out, jacked guys. Working out, big, strong, <laughs> and beards. Dave, beards are in, my friend. They're super in right now. I think they've been in for a very long time. And I remember for myself, like, I can't grow a really big beard. So whatever kind of scruff I had grown, <laughs> when I was in practice, I would never shave. I mean, like, I try to keep it, like, tamed, but right. I wouldn't shave because if I shaved, I'd look like a 16 year old. And then I'd get patients looking across and be like, what's this young boy <laughs> going to help me for? This is unbelievable. And it goes even further, you know, like I remember when um, my dad would tell me like, oh, like when we were kids, we couldn't do music, like couldn't do dance. We couldn't do creative arts or painting. That wasn't manly. You had to go mm. to sports. That was the place you had to be in. And that's, and so, you know, when I even talked to like some of his friends, they'd be like, man, I wanted to always do acting. I wanted to, show these other let's say anima or yin or feminine expressions mm-hmm. 
but society didn't allow me to do that. Or my dad didn't allow me to do that. Or the people in my environment prevented mm-hmm. me from doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like the the delineation between like, I think you said uh, um, juvenile and then mature or something. I, I think it's, I think you're getting at the same concept that uh, the, the Ken Wilber stuff I've read about, which is sort of like healthy and unhealthy masculine, like healthy masculine. And a good example would be, uh, don't say too much and mean what you say mm, like you know that. that that would be a kind of healthy yeah be be concise and direct there's that there's a kind of healthy side to that whereas being dictatorial and shouting is is sort of the unhealthy version i i, I think yeah. that it seems like we're we lump a lot of the unhealthy and healthy traits together as just collectively male <laughs> or true. masculine we really do we really do. It's just kind of gets masked over. And I think for also a lot of the young males out there, you know, they weren't maybe taught by their fathers on how to express themselves in a way where they're emotionally available or they allow a dialogue to take place. Mm-hmm. And then you see, you know, I, I saw a stat that like, I think three boys a day commit suicide or you see some of these school shootings take place and whatnot. And this is like extreme perspectives here on, I think, where, where a male you know, and it didn't just start from one night to the next. It was just like progressively, there was a lack of understanding what's happening to yourself or the ability to show up emotionally, to share and and, and a lot of loneliness that takes place as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are pressures. That I, I'm like, I'm really glad we're talking, you're, you're sort of taking this as something you really uh, uh, are championing a, a, a bit of a cause here because I, even I remember, I get, I got made fun of for having long hair, got called a girl, like as if being a girl is a bad thing anyway, but like, yeah. you know, there's just all these, there are pressures on males and I even felt them in the provider sense, you know, as I was beginning practice, not, you know, not making much money, paying all these loans back. I, I did feel that provider fail. So yeah, they don't get a lot of, I guess we don't get a lot of play because we get so much play for those sort of more toxic masculine uh subjects but there are there are pressures on on men that you know, i guess when you delve into it like you are you start to see the correlations in health in general yeah i mean a lot of those things you mentioned they just kind of get swept under the carpet you know mm-hmm. it's sort of like you see a lot of men look towards what the stereotypes are showing what the culture is showing you and so what do they do they get they go to the gyms and they work out and they get buff they some some of them go to the extreme take anabolic steroids to like uh, replace something that that they feel like they, they're not feeling they're calling to or feeling answered to, but in in the many in, in the same respect, like you know, practicing some of those uh, those feminine qualities or or you know, creative arts or whatnot or meditation, that's like working out a muscle too. It's no different. Mm-hmm. Working with mm-hmm. your mental health is the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 interesting you bring that up. I told a friend um, about a month ago that I was part of a like a men's support group. And he immediately chuckled at me. And I, and I looked at him and I was like, I know, I know why you're laughing. <laughs> and, and I, and from your perspective, I even get it from the way you've grown up and I'm not judging you either, but I really think there's something you ought to really consider there and uh, that there's benefits in mm-hmm. sharing and asking for help that it's okay. And it's okay to show up vulnerably with other men I, and in front of women. Yeah. I was wondering if you'd bring up that vulnerable aspect, because that, that seems like one of the main that seems like one of the main uh, uh, blank spots is that vulnerability piece. 
Yeah, I mean, like you, back then, you were you were taught not to cry, you were not to show emotions. You just had to swallow them and toughen up, and you had to be a provider and you had to step up to the plate. And so it didn't allow a lot of actually leeway for you to be like, I'm not feeling very well right now, or I don't feel safe right now, or I, you know, it's just like no room for security to express all that stuff that's happening inside there. And I think it's kind of like a, you know, like one of those like kettles that just starts boiling over. It's like in the sound, like, like yeah. the steam's just shooting out and it's just waiting for it to implode. Yeah. And it comes out in some unhealthy way. It comes invariably. out in very unhealthy ways. Yeah. yeah. So what, what are the, what are the patterns, like the most common patterns, maybe you can relate from your own experience too, Regal, but like what the most common patterns you see in guys that are reflective of this, um, you know, idea that our men's mental health needs, needs a, needs a real, uh, revamp overall. Yeah, yeah, sure. It does. I mean, I think it goes back down into a lot of coping mechanisms, mechanisms that we have as men, you know, and something that I usually ask men is like, you know, um, what do you seem to think about most of the time? Or, you know, are you offloading your, your responsibility, like your, your healing onto something else, or maybe something as simple as like, what needs to be expressed in your life? What wants loving attention? What needs to be honored or released? Or this one I really enjoy is the, the question of like, what fears do I have? And not just looking at fear sometimes as a negative thing, because a fear can be a warning, but it can also be an invitation. It can be an also an invitation for maybe what you could step into. Mm-hmm. And in everything that we do, um, am I loving myself with this thought or action? You know, especially... Um, when I take a look at women and how women have been so marginalized in a sense to their bodies and body image and how social media plays a role in that. And I think about my own wife and how she sometimes struggles with her own body image. And there's something beautiful. She said, she was like, you know, my body's my temple. That's my vessel. That's what I want to take care of. Mm -hmm. I don't go over there and I defecate over it or I leave garbage around it. I wouldn't do that to my temple. Mm-hmm. The same thing I think goes for, for a man, for his mental health. You know, what are you doing to foster that, to nurture? Like, you know, what, what, and, and sometimes certainly, you know, if you're trying to make all the changes and you're feeling like it's not working very well, or it's not going as, as, as proceeding, or you're taking more steps back and forward, you certainly have to take a look at your environment. Mm-hmm. You know, what is your environment doing? Like, I, I, I like, I like to talk about toxic friends, you know, people you need to let go of. Or relationships with your family, with your father that need, that they don't need, but it'd be maybe in good interest for them to be, to have some mending there, right? Mm-hmm. Some better understanding. It reminds me always of the quote by Alexis Carl, which is, uh, man cannot remake himself without suffering for he's both the marble and the sculptor. Mm-hmm. It takes work to do the deep digging. Mm-hmm. It really does. It's, it's scary to go into those dark recesses of your life and to look into the shadows. But honestly, at the end, Dave, you know, like grab a lamp, light up and walking in there, you might find some rare gems. You might find mm-hmm. some real beauties in there that really mm-hmm. will help you step further into elevating yourself. So, so part of creating, you know, the way uh, the sociocultural environment is and, and all that is these, uh, the way our families are set up and we've touched on it, like, you know, the, the things that maybe your father made as no one's father, not yours, one's father <laughs> sort of uh, showed or demonstrated how does family systems like this is not something I know much about. I, we've had another guest talk about family systems and he's quite, uh, he's quite onto it, but w- how does family systems maybe fit into this, this sort of male men or men's uh, mental health issue? 
Have you ever heard the quote like "Look at how a man treats his mother, and he'll show you how he'll treat you"? Like, you know, yeah. from a female perspective. Yeah. You know, I think I think certain quotes like that really hit home. You know, I think a lot of what a child sees, a male or a female child sees, in the relationship between their parents, really reflects in what they then look for in their own relationships or how relationships ought to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, a lot of times what I come across is. A man, like, you know, if I have a couple coming in separately and I'll see the man saying, you know, I I have to be the provider, but I'm barely at home and we're having a lot of strife and conflict. And I'd like her to understand that I'm doing my best, but, you know, I really have to do these things. And certainly there's a lot of excuses, excuses, excuses that got compound with that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you might have have, have the partner, let's say it's it's a female, be like, um, I feel like I'm I'm having free time and leisure and I'm not contributing financially so I can't ask for things. I can't mm-hmm. have free time. When we very well know that raising a kid 24-7, that's not leisurely. I mean, <laughs> yes, it is, but it's also not because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of tough work that I think gets overlooked at times. Mm-hmm. And so I think like a lot of those sort of family dynamics, they trickle down from both sides. And then you got this couple meeting and, you know, it's a lot of time here. Here's here's my crap, and here's your crap, and and well, communication, Rigo. I mean, communication is yeah. what comes to comes to mind there. And then in the you can let's you know, it's using extremes is helpful for comparison. So, say you have the the sort of unhealthy male or masculine perspective, which is uh, don't communicate emotions, or like I don't communicate vulnerability. I basically don't communicate emotions or vulnerability. The yeah. unhealthy sort of feminine side of that may be avoidant right and so now you've got you've got a a hell of a mix there you got a a guy who won't talk and a a woman who's or it doesn't have to be male or female it's more we're talking about archetypes more so the sex yeah okay the sex doesn't matter but like it it could be that you have an avoidant person with a person who's like dictatorial and doesn't want to talk so it's just communication in 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 those cases right some healthy communication could go a long way yeah, I mean, I remember recently hearing a friend say, oh, yeah, you know, like, I I, I, I have to talk to him about that. You know, I'll, I'll talk to him maybe next month about it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you're going to wait a whole month, a whole month to talk to him about yeah, this? This is yeah. so important to you? Like, why? Yeah. You know, like, pick the perfect moment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This isn't your boss. This is, this is your partner. This, is, this ought to be your best friend. Yeah. Safest place. Really, yeah, I, that's what I wish for. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do talk with... um. Uh, my clients a lot about the term I, I call it the term sanctuary but it's you can call it whatever you want it's like a place a person or act, an activity that just refuels rewires recharges rebuilds you and it's sort of like something that you can do that you just feel really honored in and that just, just feels builds you up and like for me for example it's it's a sauna like I'm German growing up with sauna most of my life I'm very fortunate in that sense but that's my safe space Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think we can find all different kinds of safe spaces, whether it's doodling in the morning or that cup of coffee on the porch or a walk through the woods. But mm-hmm. I think it's really important to kind of note what which ones are there and how can I, you know, bring those in my life, hopefully every single day. Mm-hmm. And speaking of like relationships, you know, I think also uh, sexuality plays a huge role, big time in terms of like, you know, I'm the man, I should be in charge or the societal expectations. And then you think about performance anxiety. And then you hear couples that, you know, haven't had any intercourse for maybe months at a time. And I think we're sexual creatures. We're social creatures. I think those are very important parts. And I think they're very 
they actually are very important for a person's physiological health, you know, mm-hmm. for their mental health and well-being. It's, I think we thrive on touch and connection. Oh, and I think when, absolutely. absolutely. When a couple isn't, isn't having, you know, it doesn't have to be sex. It could just be intimacy. You know, if they're not having that, I think that, um, that really it creates a big pitfall, it really just mm-hmm. sort of like an unspoken hurdle in a relationship. And I think, um, and I don't know how it is for females, but I think porn addiction plays a huge role in there as well. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah, big one. That would, yeah, I would say that's, that's a big one. It's a huge influence. Um, yeah. On, yeah. I mean, you, today's cornucopia of like free streamed, limitless, high definition <laughs> yeah. porn. I mean, it goes from erotic to extreme. You know, this is inexhaustible sexual novelty at your fingertips. And, you know, there's not this filtration anymore. I think kids are getting this at a very young age and they think that's what sexuality is like or that's what reality is like. And the thing is, then it happens. What it does is this intense exposure starts down rate regulating your actual natural neural responses to sexual stimuli. Mm-hmm. And so then what you're trying to do is you're trying to sort of like mask on what you see in pornography onto your relationship without having communicated any of that. Yeah. And I think that's very traumatic and I don't think that's a very healthy way to create intimacy. And I, and I, and I do see that at times where a man says to me, you know, like we're not having sex or she's never in the mood. And I'm like, have you explored why she's not in the mood? Maybe, maybe I'm not saying there's actually anyone at fault here. I'm just saying hmm. there's a lot of exploration that can take place that people don't do. Mm-hmm. And again, communication comes. Yeah, play, no, it right? really does go back down to that. Yeah, and then uh, it's it's funny you said that about the kids getting or uh, people being exposed to this. Like, I have a friend uh, who his his kid, his little boy, he he found some. I don't know, he found stuff on something online at because he saw his search history because everything's at your fingertips, like you said. And and uh, yeah, we have to be careful. We have to we have to be careful with that because this was a, I think he was eight or nine at the time, and he's already able to seek, you know, whatever he wants, whatever he heard somewhere. Go yeah. and seek it out. Yeah. And then, Probably yeah. something we, maybe stuff we never even heard of, right? It's, it's, yeah. uh, the, the gamut's wild. And it's interesting, like, you know, when you go on in, in Instagram, for example, um, the kind of images you see on there, I think that would be like considered Playboy material in the 1970s, hands yeah. down. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's somehow like, it's interesting that as a society, we're sort of being normalized in that sense about it. But then it's also like, having any open transparent sexual conversation is a faux pas you know mm-hmm. like that's a no-no mm-hmm. that's hands off mm-hmm. yes okay well can you bring into uh our talk here a little bit about what happened when uh maybe you could just say your perspective on when you became a father uh and and what fatherhood uh does or changes oh well you certainly wow wow that's a that's a that's a potential question i know here. um so, well, the first thing I really recognized was that play is the language of children, you know, being yeah. playful, being presence, presence plays a really big role. And I think that you, as a father, learn that you got to be good to yourself because your kids see that, what it's like to take care of yourself. Uh-huh. Um, one thing that, that my dad also taught me is that, you know, when you think of the, you know, the man as the provider role and you're going to work and then you're burnt out and guess what? Your family gets burnt out Rigo. You know, they don't get Rigo at their best. They get Rigo mm-hmm. burnt out. Who's now coping. He probably wants to drink. He wants to smoke, whatnot. Right. And so what's interesting, my dad taught me like back in the day, and that's what he said he loved about when he was working in Britain. He's like, when people finished at work, 
They would go to the pub, they'd have a pint. It was like their regulation, self-regulation, and they'd come home and then they'd be present because they know very well no one's going to feel sorry for them when they come home. Just because mm-hmm. you had a hard day at work is like, you know, you're looking at your partner who's exhausted, had two crying kids, uh, you know, on her all day and mm-hmm. needs to feed the family. And it's very overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. So that, I, when he mentioned it to me like that, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's a good one. Well, how, I, I mean, also- how do you, how do you balance it though with the demands of, cause I mean, there's a big, this is a big, I mean, all these topics are big, but like, how do you balance that with, we do have to uh, provide, not, I'm not saying men, I'm saying parents, families, we do have to provide, uh, you know, resources and all that. But at the same time, we do want to not, de- you know, deplete ourselves to the point where we don't have anything to give at the end of the day. I mean, it's a tough balance probably for a lot of people to make. And I guess as naturopaths, we're lucky we can try and wiggle that balance. Like for me, I, I, I've been wiggling that balance for a little bit. But it's you, it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and sometimes you go too far one way and sometimes you go too far another way. Yeah, we're prone to burnout. You know that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So like, for, say for someone with a more like regimented job, how, how do you, how do you get them to sort of, uh, try and value it first if they don't and then, uh, you know, implement that balancing act? I talk with, um, I talk with, uh, uh, you know, my male or female patients uh, a lot about ritual design. So, you know, we use the word routine and ritual interchangeably, but there's a big difference in there. It's that ritual creates a meaning to it. And so, you know, in essence, we really have rituals throughout the day all the time. You know, little things that we do and even things I remember being taught in school, which was like, you know, after every patient, wash your hands. Now, certainly from a sanitary perspective, great, but it was also like a way to ground yourself. Mm -hmm. So, and the thing is with ritual design, you don't really have to like create big, long, like hour long routines be something really small like 30 seconds or minutes because you really do only have 24 hours a day that can really help you regulate yourself and bring yourself back down and even learning your resources tools that really can help support you but the thing is there's no one tool to kind of rule them all right there's Mm -hmm. many different types of resources and we just have to kind of maybe explore what those are and try them and maybe fail at them it's like trial by fire and then start something new Certainly not jump around from each one and over, but if you find something that really sits with you, that's congruent, then use that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think experimentation goes a really long way. So when we're talking about like those 24 hours and how, we, how uh, as providers, when one has to work and there's only so much time in the day, it's learning to maximize your time, but also make time for being present because mm-hmm. a lot of the time it's like, you know, you come home and then the coping mechanisms start placing. and you're like, Hey, I want to watch telly. Okay, honey, I'm going to bed. Are you going to come? It's like, no, I'm going to watch the telly some more. And it's like, you know, once that starts becoming a habit, you're, you're losing a lot of quality time you could have with your partner. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it's easier said than done. You know, a lot of the times I'm seeing a lot of like how to like small habits, how to build habits, or these are the things that I've learned, whether you go on medium or YouTube, but the one thing that I really struggle or get frustrated by is that they always talk about like, you know, stop sleeping until 11 a.m. I'm like, I don't remember the last time I slept until 11 a.m. Like, you know, don't watch, you know, too much Netflix. It's like, I, I think I'm very limited in that sense. But what really bothers me is that none of these like advice ever, ever put together that like, what if you're a parent? What if you got kids? Yeah, yeah. You know, they make it sound like you got all this wealth of time around you when you actually may not. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Regal, is there, is there any other issues that we, like, I, I tried to touch on all the, all the issues or, or all the topics that we were, we were going to talk about. Is there anything else that you think is like really, really important and you, you want, um, people to know about men's mental health or, or anything like that is just, we can't, sk- we can't skip on, on our talk here. We just have to share. What, what would that be? I think, I think one thing I, I'd love to share is just brief, <laughs> briefly, uh, the polyvagal theory. It's one yeah. thing that I really, really stand behind that I, I'm a really big fan of. And what, it, you know, just we'll do a quick dip into the science. You know, we used to think there's just a sympathetic and a parasympathetic, that fight or flight or rest and digest. What we're noticing now is that the vagus nerve, which is like the great wanderer in Latin because it goes all over your body, it actually has a front and a back, a ventral and dorsal component. And what that causes you is it can either, um, you know, it, it can either get you into a social engagement place where you feel like you're at your best. So think of like, you know, Dave, when you're like around your best pals, people yeah. you feel safest, you're cracking the stupidest jokes that maybe only you're laughing at, but you don't care because you're having <laughs> fun. And you might even look in the mirror and be like, hey, I like this guy. I like the, the way this guy is acting because you're being very congruent with yourself. That's that really good, safe social engagement part of you. Mm-hmm. But then we have got these other two parts, which is the fight or flight, which is what most of us live in nowadays because – it's moving. It ain't stopping for you and you got to keep going, whether stress is hidden or not. But then there's also that freeze response, which is like, if you think about it, phylogenetically, like a really prehistoric shutdown phase is what animals do when they're like evading a predator or, or didn't evade a predator. You feign death. And we do this emotionally too. We see this happen a lot. I see this happening in men. We just shut off from the world, especially when you think about- What are the signs of freeze that you see in men? Well, one thing is they call it the, the social engagement phase. They call it because your your ear can tune in and out human voices. So when you're in a freeze response, you know that when like you're at the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the bottom, and people are talking to you, but nothing's landing, nothing's really coming in. That's kind of like freeze. Or when you close yourself off from people, or you feel like you can't ask for help. That's a classic sort of like male dominate sphere where you're just like, I'm going to deal with it on my own. So I'm going to curl up in a fetal position in my bed with the, with the blinds shut and I'm going to mm-hmm. just be dead to the world, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like that freeze response, which we know has physiological, re, 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 uh, re, uh, what's the word? Like repercussions, repercussions yeah. The reason though, I really love talking and addressing um, the polyvagal theory, just to put it simply, is that it deals a lot with states not stories. I think it's important to get into stories. And, and I think we create a lot of different stories about who we are and how we work. And, but sometimes I think like you can go down the rabbit hole and you can really re-traumatize yourself. But besides that, because we ruminate a lot and obsess and then we spend an hour thinking about it and we don't feel any better. The thing I love so much about states is that it's just about awareness. It's just about who you are, more importantly, how you are. So for example, for myself, when I get stressed, I notice I bite my fingernails. I will shrug my shoulders. I will get neck pain. My breath will be shallow. I will lose my appetite. If I'm aware of these cues that me personally has, and everyone's got different ones, right? Some people mm-hmm. like their tummies go to crap. Then what tools do I have? What resources have I learned that allow me to regulate myself back to a place where I'm socially engaged, where I feel calm and collected? And how can I do that in a way that it's, yeah, you know, in a way it's short, fast, productive, but you know, is that when you hit the sauna? Applicable. 
oh, I wish I could have like a sauna just <laughs> carried with me where I go. But you know, one thing that I do and that I try to teach all my patients, but I can't do it in the office ever because it doesn't work is yawning. Really? I know it sounds so simple because yawning has become from society standpoint, like something you always have to apologize for because it means like a sign of respect or whatnot. Yeah. But the, the more you talk about it, the more you feel it. And the thing is, yawning, you, we, we all know how we have all done it, but you kind of actually know what it feels like and how you can tap into it. And I always use my dog as an, is it right over there? Is, as an example is that when my dog's stressed out, he will yawn. That's what he does. And animals do that to release tension. And it's sort of like the stretching of the vagus nerve. And so what I do, especially when I, you know, I'm nervous or, you know, I'm about to jump on a podcast with Dave, I will go yawn until the tears come flowing. And what I will feel is my whole nervous system just go. Cool. I've never heard of this. It's powerful and so simple. And the reason I love it because it's a do thing, not a be thing. I love be things, but the thing is, it's sometimes really tough when someone's stressful to be like, go meditate, mm-hmm. go pay attention to your breath right now, go focus on the candle. It's sometimes not feasible because your thoughts are running away. But when you focus just on the yawning, you notice your whole nervous system slow down as you get yawning deeper and deeper and deeper. And the reason I can't do it in the office is when I try to do it with patients, that whole societal kind of confrontation comes there. And people are like, when you're stressed out, you also struggle with yawning. But the more you get into it, the deeper the yawn goes. And you know, when you hit that deepest line of oh, it's a good yawn, one. Yeah. Oh, it's a good, like you feel the tingles going down your hair. Like, you know, you hit the sweet spot. When I hit that and tears I've run, I'm like, all right, I'm good now. Damn, I like this. I I never knew that. People, people talk about doing, uh, you know, different, different, home-based things for the vagus nerve, right? Like yeah, your gargling, humming, stuff like that. singing, humming. all yeah. that stuff. But the yawning thing, yeah. It's, and I love when you can look into nature, as you seem to do. You look in, you're looking in other creatures. They do the same thing. It tells you something, right? A lot of these, a lot of these coping uh, mechanisms are... Uh, nature doesn't re- redo things that already work, right? Yeah, no, they don't. I mean, it's the same way that you look at... Uh, like, you know, tension release exercises, uh, TRE... Yeah. Same thing, you know, an animal is shocked or attacked, or it starts shaking out that mm-hmm. nervous tension. And we can learn to do that. We've just kind of like prevented ourselves from doing it because, you know, you can't show these sort of things when, the, when you're in like a social sphere. Mm-hmm. These are all like little tips that I've learned. And I've learned these struggling through my own mental health, but especially because I've been a poor sleeper most of my life. And so I've developed this, these skill sets to help me calm down so I get, get a good night's rest. Yeah. And the key there, I think, is that you, you said you're, you're aware, you're aware of your little cues. And, uh, and that's, you know, that awareness is, is sort of, is really, really important. I think it's missing uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, just being aware of your cues. Um, wow. I, that was the, the yawning tip is what everyone's going to take home. I think. Uh, yeah, baby. I love it. I love it. Cherry on top. <laughs> Okay, so before before we we close up, and I'll give you one more chance if there's like anything burning to say, like what you have to say. But I want people to know where to catch you because uh, you're trying to get your message out there. You love your one on one thing, I know that. But we, as we talked before, you want to reach more people, and uh, I'll say to whoever's gonna reach out to you in in whatever means, whether it's by uh, checking out your Instagram or uh, the YouTube stuff you're creating, everything looks good. And it's got some like meaning and purpose. So you'll like the aesthetic and the meaning it's, it's good stuff. So Rigo, 
Where do people find you on Instagram? Uh, just uh, Dr. Kefferbutz. That's the okay. handle. Okay. Um, just I'm getting it running. I'm I feel like I got I got a good stride going. I'm hoping to build the base on that, but I'm just showing up and uh, it feels good. Yeah, I like it. I I saw your uh, your sort of series on uh, on friendships. On friendship. I believe. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it was really good. Looks like you hung out with some cool dudes. Um, and then, yeah, I know. I definitely did. <laughs> and then uh, Dr. Keffer puts, uh, is that the same thing on YouTube? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I only got one video up, but I promise you there's going to be more heading that way. Um, just, you know, some some of the editing, editing takes time, just tinkering with ideas. But I just love the idea that I can freely express and throw in some clips and just, you know, I always try to give education, but I don't want to just, you know, read off a bloody PowerPoint. I, I want to make it make it land. I want to give you something. Yeah, man. I want to make you laugh. I want to make you cry. All that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Make it and make it fun if you can at times. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you guys want to reach out to uh, Dr. Keffer puts, it's, it's pretty simple to find them online. It's Dr. Keffer puts.com and it's Dr. K E F F E R P U T Z com or P U T Z for our, <laughs> for our American <laughs> friends. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Regal, awesome. I mean, your buzz is great. Uh, I love, I love what you're doing. You got, you got some, uh, you got some courage doing some men's health in the naturopathic, uh, zone. So, uh, thanks for bringing that. I appreciate um, it. Yeah. And this, it, this is your last chance. Is there anything else you want to say to the men out there about men's health or should we, should we close it on this chapter? You know what? There's this one quote. I'm just going to quickly find it that yeah. I just, I'm a big sucker for quotes, pictures, stories. I like it. Stuff. Meaning uh, and purpose, the good, the sort of good male archetype things, depth, meaning, purpose, bring it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, it's this one. Uh, have you ever read the book, uh, The Little Prince? Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's like a kid's book, but with so many like deeper layers of knowledge. Yeah, in it. yeah. And this is one quote. It says, and the fox said to the little prince, men have forgotten this truth, but you must not forget it. You become responsible forever for what you have tamed. And what I want to key in here is that how about you reframe responsibility as response ability? What I mean is if there's something in a man's power to do it and it doesn't violate their boundaries, then we ought to help them empower to do it and help yourself to do it too. I like that. And with that, I can't make it any better. That's the end of this uh, podcast episode. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. With Dr. Rigo Keffer puts. Thanks so much, Rigo. Pleasure, man. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus Focus vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high-quality, naturopathic doctor-designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada.